Welcome to episode 244 of the Microsoft Cloud IT Pro Podcast, recorded live on August 20th, 2021. This is a show about Microsoft 365 and Azure from the perspective of IT pros and end users, where we discuss a topic or recent news and how it relates to you. This week, we talk about a variety of topics, including Ben locking himself out of Azure AD, Windows 365 and Teams, Azure feedback, Azure storage events, and Azure Blob inventory. And then we wrap up by briefly discussing the Microsoft 365 price increases. We're going. We're going, huh? Where, hey, Scott, guess what? Where are we going to? Just a permanent authentication loop as you lock yourself out of all of your AED accounts? Yes. I broke <laughs> Office 365. Well. So, yeah. I was... Might as well tell the story since it just happened 30 seconds ago. I was going into my admin account or going into my Office 365 account, Microsoft 365 account, Windows 365 account, Azure AD account. I was logging in to my account that has privileged identity management on it. And I activated my global admin and I went to log in and it hadn't kicked over yet. So I figured maybe I'll go look at a message center in one of my partner's tenants because there was a message I wanted to pull up to look at on the podcast. And it put me in a permanent loop because apparently my... Elevated admin rights hadn't kicked over yet, so I wasn't allowed in not only my admin center, but anybody's. Mine just pops up, go pick a tenant to log into. Apparently, when I clicked on one of the ones I'm federated with, it just got me stuck in a loop where it load the admin center, and I didn't have enough access, so it would reload the admin center, and I didn't have enough access, and it just kept doing that over and over again. Until eventually it got that it can't sign me in anymore. So I don't really know what I just did to my account, but <laughs> I can't log into it. <laughs> well, you know, you just wait for that whole privileged identity thing to time out after an hour or two and then kind of see what's going on with the account. Maybe, kind of, sort of. But this is yeah, why we have break glass accounts. Yes, very much so, which I'm pretty sure I have somewhere. <laughs> and I think I know what the username is, but I wasn't able to come up with the password right away. I think I might have another one too. So there's a couple different accounts that should have some admin rights that are break glass or at least do not have privileged identity management on them that I can try. <laughs> have I told you lately that you're a mess? Like you think you might have one of those accounts? Kind of, sort of, maybe? Well, so I know I have some other accounts. I just don't know what they're... Okay, I found one of them. Now you're going to make me go try it. Oh, Scott, I know what else we're going to talk about after I try this. Let me go try my account just so we can all sleep better tonight. (laughs) Although, you might not. You might just keep laughing at me. A little bit of real-time debugging. Oh, they're calling my phone? Nope, I'm not logging in. I do have an account and a password. Apparently, my MFA on that is give me a phone call. No. Sign in another way. Text me. That worked. So in other news, Scott, remember last week how we were talking about Teams in Windows Virtual Desktop and Azure Virtual Desktop? Yeah. We tried it right after we recorded last week. (laughs) Guess what? Yes, we did. Well, you were there. It shouldn't be too hard. It works just as poorly as it does on regular old remote desktop to the computer that's right next to me (laughs) versus the one that's sitting in AVD someplace else. Yeah, and you tried. So I tried Windows 365 on my iPad. And were you doing it from your iPad as well? Or did you try it on your computer? I was doing it from my iPad as well. And and I've, I've done it from my computer in the past and found the experience to be poor for remote mic 
and just useless for remote video. Yeah, and that's kind of what we saw. So it was able to pick up my remote mic and video from my iPad, but one, you couldn't hear me even though it picked up my remote mic and my camera was like going in and out. I like couldn't actually grab my camera and hang on to it for whatever reason. Oh, I really broke it. So my break glass account when I try to log into admin.microsoft.com says, sorry, we can't process your request. You can try refreshing the page to solve the problem. <laughs> huh. Um, yeah. He, another problem for another time. You're going to have to figure that one out in at least 40 minutes. So you got a little bit of time to let it like yeah. just see if it fixes itself. <laughs> we can resolve it. So yeah, it is interesting because if you go look at like WVD and AVD, they do say it's optimized for Teams and it should work, but we kind of tried it on our iPads. And my experience as well is that anytime you try like doing a remote mic and remote video over the internet to a virtual desktop session, it just is not a wonderful experience. Yeah. That being said, if anybody has done it and done it successfully and done it successfully with decent quality consistently, I would love to hear that feedback and talk to you. And maybe get you on the podcast about what you did to implement it. Yeah, we'd all be living the dream if we could just ditch Teams clients on our devices. We would be. I was doing training the other day on Teams. And I had, so I was jumping between a few different calls for training. I was hopping around. So I had three of them open. My CPU was completely buried by Teams for seven hours straight yesterday. They need to do something about that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Spot by NetApp is the cloud automation platform that makes it easy to deliver continuously optimized infrastructure at the lowest possible cost. Spot helps their customers get the most out of their cloud investments by automating cloud infrastructure to ensure performance, reduced complexity, and optimized costs. Their machine learning and automation scale to exactly meet application needs using the most efficient mix of instances and pricing models, eliminating the risks of over-provisioning and cloud waste. Best of all, their software works with leading cloud platforms, services, and tools so that you can simplify and automate your cloud infrastructure wherever your workloads and applications run and however you run them. Discover how leading companies from cloud-native startups to global enterprises are automating, simplifying, and optimizing optimizing their cloud infrastructure with Spot by NetApp. Check them out at spot.io slash MSIT, where you can find more information, request a demo, or even start a free trial. So what else would we like to talk about today besides me and my Microsoft 365 tenant? Oh, there's all sorts of fun stuff that we could talk about. You want to do a couple of Azure things first? Sure. We can, because I talked a lot last week. As our podcast indicated, apparently you listened while I talked. So you can talk about Azure stuff. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, a couple of different kinds of things. So I think everybody has heard about the deprecation of user voice across all of Microsoft for some time now. And some product teams have 
already made the some product and service teams because broadly when I say all Microsoft, you know, user voice for Microsoft 365, user voice for Azure, user voice for Windows, like name a product, user voice be no more. In the case of Azure specifically, the URL, so if you just went to the Azure feedback forms, you just went to feedback.azure.com, that yep. URL started throwing up a splash page earlier this week on the 17th, I believe, is when that went up, brother. Uh, which basically tells you that user voice is not a thing that we are using within Azure anymore. So there's a quick little kind of notice up there. You know, it's, like it's, it's a nicely built splash page, but it is just a splash page. It's got one call to action, which basically tells you, hey, you can go over here to learn a little bit more. And when you click that link that says, let's go learn more, it takes you over to a support article inside of Office Support, which is kind of strange because you just hopped from <laughs> the Azure Feedback <laughs> side site over to Office Support. But that's because the Office team has been transitioning away for user voice for a little bit, well, a little while now. So they already have that support page up. And frankly, the guidance is kind of the same across all these various services, whether it's Azure, Microsoft 365, anything like that. So depending on the service, maybe that you're looking to go ahead and give feedback on, say it's an Azure service. So you're somebody who uses Synapse. Well, the Synapse team is going to collect their feedback inside of Microsoft Tech Community for a little while until whatever new solution to replace user voice comes along. I know like in my team for core storage services, so that's disks, files, tables, queues, blobs, and ADLS Gen 2, we're basically falling back to a standing distribution list that we have that lets people go ahead and get feedback to us. But I think it's really kind of disconnected. Like you have to understand the service that you want to give feedback for. And if you're actually passionate enough about the service that you want to give feedback for it, hopefully you have a way to understand and kind of follow news around those products so that you understand the right place to go. Like in the case of Synapse, you would not know to go to tech community for Synapse unless you followed maybe the RSS feed out of the tech community for the Synapse team already. That's kind of a tough thing to find. Yeah. I mean, user voice, it was not Microsoft, right? That's a third party that they partnered with. Correct. So user voice is a company and then they offer all these sub forums with you know branding, all the functionality, the upvoting system, all those kinds of things. Yeah. So that's kind of why it went away. Microsoft was like, nope, we're not going to use user voice anymore. But the fact that they would do that and not provide like a consistent place to go does kind of baffle me, especially with how much they promoted user voice and give us feedback and all of that. And I struggle with that a little bit because I used it. So I used it some. I didn't always provide a lot of feedback. But one of the things I tended to use it for was, okay, I want to do this or this isn't working or I want this feature. Are there a bunch of other people that want this feature too? So I'd use user voice just to go look at how many people maybe requested or upvoted a certain feature just to try to get a beat on it because it would you could usually get a feeling for it or even looking at stuff that Microsoft would say, nope, we're not going to do this. I used it for a lot more than just providing feedback. 
in having this move into a bunch of different places like that and some of it be in tech community and maybe some of it just be email or surveys, I feel like you lose a lot of that visibility. So again, beyond just the feedback, you lose some of the visibility into what they might be working on or what wasn't a priority or even what other people that used the service were interested in or cared about or things like that. Yeah, it's not that we don't care about feedback. A couple of things. So we are all across all of these various services like like we do deeply care about feedback from our customers and our users. Unfortunately, we ended up in this little bit of an awkward situation where user voice was going away and I think, you know, if you read the writing on the wall from the outside, it's a little tough to understand where to go. And I think some of us are kind of scrambling to make that happen. All that being said, yeah. like we still would love to have your feedback. Like if you have relationships with product groups already, like those existing kind of feeds and forums continue to exist. If you are an MVP, that's still out there. If you follow, you know, the official Twitter handle for a given service, like all that stuff still exists. Tech community is there. If you know where the kind of forum or blog is within tech community for the service you're following, you can certainly go ahead and do that. Broadly, we also, in the case of Azure at least, we have the Q&A forums, which we've been spinning up a lot more, you know, like inside of Docs on every page in Azure now, you know, you see that button to go ask Q&A and it takes you over to Microsoft Q&A. We're actively monitoring those as well to kind of make sure that we continue to have that feedback loop with our external customers. And then in the future, as we do align and get back to where we need to be. Like, hopefully, there's you know that grand solution that comes along and ties it all back, and it's you know better than it was in the past. Yes, and if you ask me really nicely, I'll give you Scott's cell phone number, and you can call him with all of your Azure feedback. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I love my customers' feedback, but I, I'm in Azure storage. So if you have feedback in storage, I'd love to hear it. I will put our email address for storage. I'll just put it in the in the show notes. So we are the, Azure perfect. storage feedback at Microsoft.com. Anybody can go ahead and email that. We've had that out in the open for quite a while. Like when we did Storage Day back in April, that, that's kind of where we guided customers to along the way. So we do have ways for external folks to c- come in and interact with us. And then like I said, if you're an MVP, you still have all your MVP DLs. If you're maybe a partner and you're a member of like the Azure Connections program, formerly Azure Advisors, all that stuff is still there and tech community is wide open. Like sign in with your MSA just like you would have for user voice and go ahead and let us know about things. You know, you can, can continue to open tickets, get support, all that kind of stuff. All those kind of avenues and work streams are available. Perfect. Sounds good. I'm curious to see what replaces it or what comes next for some of this. Because I'm sure it's also not, I mean, some grace to Microsoft, it's not a small task. There was a lot of stuff in user voice. So to kind of come up with a solution for that or where you're going to go next from that is probably not a small feat to accomplish. It is not an inconsequential task. Like, Especially when you consider that, I'll take Azure as an example. Each one of our product teams is really an independent entity. Like we all roll up to Azure, but the way that we run our businesses, approach our businesses, like there can be variability within those. So when you think about having an overarching 
I think, customer experience for feedback across all of Azure and then more broadly across all of Microsoft. That really is kind of a gargantuan task. So how do you kind of come up with clear line of sight and something that's going to be workable for multiple types of customers and constituencies across all these various products, maybe on like a common backend or something like that. Like I don't envy folks who have to solve that problem. You know what's going to happen? All the feedback's going to end up in Azure Blob storage. <laughs> well, I, I mean, they're, they're little text files. It's not, it, won't bring, it won't bring petabytes, but I guess storage is storage. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Do you feel overwhelmed by trying to manage your Office 365 environment? Are you facing unexpected issues that disrupt your company's productivity? Intelligent is here to help. Much like you take your car to the mechanic that has specialized knowledge on how to best keep your car running, Intelligent helps you with your Microsoft Cloud environment because that's their expertise. Intelligent keeps up with the latest updates in the Microsoft Cloud to help keep your business running smoothly and ahead of the curve. Whether you are a small organization with just a few users up to an organization of several thousand employees, they want to partner with you to implement and administer your Microsoft Cloud technology. Visit them at intelligent.com slash podcast. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-I-N-K dot com slash podcast for more information or to schedule a 30-minute call to get started with them today. Remember, Intelligent focuses on the Microsoft Cloud so you can focus on your business. All right. So any other Azure news that you wanted to discuss? Well, yeah. So I'll be selfish because I am in storage. So we released a couple uh, to GA, a bunch of features over this last week. And I think some of them are like truly empowering for customers. If you make use of uh, blob storage or ADLS Gen 2 in any way, shape or form. So the first one is a feature that's called Last Access Time Tracking, referred to as LAT. You can use Last Access Time Tracking to, uh, you basically enable it on your storage account. And when it's enabled for your storage account, on a daily basis, we will update a property on each object in your flat namespace. So it's just for blobs today. It's going to come for ADLS Gen 2 a little bit later. But we'll update a property which basically says, this is the last access time for this object. And you can use that property then inside of things like lifecycle management. So let's say you're an organization that, you know, you store product images for your website in blob storage. Well, you might actually want to take your product images, like if you have a catalog with, you know, a million items in your catalog and it's a one-to-one, so you have at least a million images there, your entire product catalog probably is not accessed every day. There's maybe parts of it that are hotter when you have sales or other things like that. So now you can use something like last access time uh, tracking to say, hey, if this product image hasn't been, leave it in hot, if it hasn't been accessed in the last seven days, go ahead and tear it down to cool for me. 
and then let it sit and cool. And if it sits and cool for 30 days, you kind of get to enjoy that lower price of cool storage. At some point, if you want to archive it away, you can go ahead and move it over to archive with another lifecycle management rule. And you can also bring it back the other way with lifecycle management. So we have kind of flags in lifecycle management that let you do things like once you've moved an object to the cool tier, you can immediately move it back to hot the very first time it's accessed. So you can kind of manage cost better and I think really optimize around this. So it's great for use cases where you have objects that you expect to be frequently accessed in the beginning, and then over time, they're going to be less frequently accessed. And you want to move them down to cooler tiers of storage along the way. God. So that one's fun. It's all out there. Like I said, it's it's for flat namespace accounts today. Basically just blobs. And then uh, we'll introduce hierarchical namespace support at a later time for that, for ADLS Gen 2. And if you think about data lakes, like I think that becomes really powerful for data lakes. You might have a data pipeline where, let's say you bring in all your raw data and it all comes in as CSVs. At some point, once that data has been processed and transformed, you know, you, you go from raw to whatever your next phase happens to be for you, quite often you want to retain that raw data in case you need to go back and get something out of it or reprocess, but it doesn't need to live on the hottest tiers of storage, which are the most expensive per gigabyte to go ahead and track your data. Another thing that we did around lifecycle kind of management and eventing is we've introduced Azure Archive storage events. So if you are a customer who integrates event grid with your Azure storage accounts. So you're capturing events like blob created, blob deleted, things like that. We have a new event in there that's called blob tier changed and that's going to fire even in the archive tier now. So if you have an item that's in archive and you actually want to go ahead and bring it back from archive to cool and you want a notification like when it comes all the way back to cool without you having to pull and constantly enumerate over the account. Now we've got native eventing there that's available for that. And we also include a notification when you copy a blob from archive. I think we have this piece of functionality that not a lot of folks know about, but you can perform a copy operation from archive over to a hotter tier. Uh, So effectively keep this object in archive, but make a copy of it in the same storage account over here. So you can kind of maybe keep your older version there and then bring it back up and then work on a newer version of it with a new object name over here and do whatever you need to do with it. So for those, we'll fire an event as well. So now you have this kind of richer lifecycle management all up around archive and managing things back and forth through there. And then the third one that we released is to general availability is inventory, uh, blob inventory. So what this lets you do is on a daily basis, we will generate a CSV or a parquet file, dealer's choice there. And that file contains a listing of all of the objects that exist in your storage account. So things like the container name, the object name, you know, if it's an ADLS Gen 2 account, it's going to have, you know, the entire directory path all the way down to the file. It includes the file size in there. So now you have this rich capability to go ahead and track on a daily basis inventory of your accounts. 
So if you think about, you know, before we release this capability, if you had to answer the question, what are all the objects in my storage account? That meant going to do a what could be a very expensive listing operation to list all the objects in the account. You know, if you have a million objects and you've got a loop and enumerate over all of those, that, yep. that can tend to be an expensive operation because it is transactions. So Blob Inventory takes all that away and now we'll just generate a file for you once a day. And then on a day to day basis, you'll have this kind of running file. That lets you do some other cool things, which I think maybe lets you fill some what I consider to be kind of gaps today with maybe some of our metrics. So, you know, we we have this other long-standing ask that says, can you tell me not only the number of objects that exist in a container, <laughs> but also the size of a container? Like it's great that I can see the size of a storage account, but how do I know about just yep. this one container, just these two containers, things like that? Well, I had that question yeah. recently with a client. Yeah, so because And guess what it was? <laughs> it was a PowerShell script that went through and looked at each object and said it's this big, add that to the next one, to the next one, to the next one. It's Kind of a pain. So now you don't need to do that because you can just use Blob Inventory. Blob Inventory will spit out a CSV and you could just turn that CSV into a pivot table and say, hey, just go ahead and add up everything, the size of all these objects inside of this object path or this container or this subfolder, whatever you want it to be. And you'll be able to figure that out. And because you can use things like Parquet as well, so CSVR or Parquet, that lets you do yep. something like just do uh, Synapse on demand, like SQL on demand from Synapse and just go ahead and read that CSV file and spit the numbers back for you that you need. I think those are all kind of, in general, like when I say, hey, we have better LCM or we have Blob Inventory, they all sound like little things, but I think they are kind of truly like powerful things if you know how to use them and you are looking to kind of fill those gaps. Like if I can generate that CSV for you that has an inventory of all the objects in your account, I've just saved you every single listing operation that you threw off on the other side, which transactions cost money. Like they do add up over time. Yeah, and I'm guessing too, even with that CSV, you could attach it to like Power BI and build a whole report dashboard off of that CSV and Power yep. BI. Yeah, you, you can do whatever you want with it. all kinds of things you could do with that. Yep, uh, natively attach it into Excel. Like we, We've seen customers doing Power BI, Excel, doing custom reporting out of Databricks, Synapse, all sorts of kind of cool little use cases. How about Google Sheets? Do you see anybody attaching Google Sheets to it? <laughs> I'm sure somebody's <laughs> doing it. I, I don't run into them too often. <laughs> Usually by the time I run into a customer, our sales team has been beating them up that they're not a Microsoft 365 customer yet. That's funny, kind of. No, I don't know. I'm so tired, Scott. It's been a long <laughs> week. So, Scott, do you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Or are you sure that every team in your Microsoft 365 tenant has a valid owner? Guess what? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without planning unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, you get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. You can automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams. And you can collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. That's also why they've combined ShareGate Desktop 
their trusted migration and content management tool with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft cloud. Speaking of Microsoft 365, should we segue to that one? Or do you have more Azure stuff you want to talk about? Uh, a couple more Azure things. Okay, because the the Microsoft 365 one isn't yeah. as big a deal as people think. And not storage specific. So if you use Azure VMs, hopefully you are familiar with the concept of uh, virtual machine extensions. So the capability mm-hmm. to automatically install a- agents, right? Like I want to automatically in- inject the dependency agent to my VM. I yeah. want to run a DSC script on boot, like, like things like that. Join it to Azure AD. I think that's an extension, right? Yep. Joining it into AD or yep. Azure AD as a VM yeah, extension. Or run this PowerShell script or run this bash script on boot, those kinds of things. Those are all uh, VM extensions as well. Extensions are, they evolve over time. So they have versions to them as well, right? They, they kind of grow up, they get bug fixes, all these kinds of things. Now, the ability to configure your extensions for automatic upgrade is generally available. So if you're using extensions with VMs, whether those be individual VMs or they are VMs that are a member of a virtual machine scale set, you can go ahead and enable automatic upgrade for extensions. It's not just for Microsoft extensions, it's for third-party extensions in the marketplace as well. So say you install like an AV extension like Symantec or Trend or something like Trend Micro, something like that. Now you can automatically keep those up to date as well without having to go and, you know, again, do these listing operations, enumerate over all your VMs, see which ones have which version of which extension, and then go ahead and fire off upgrades things like that. Got it. So is that like a a flag on each individual VM? Like if you have some VMs you want to auto-upgrade the extensions and other ones you don't? Or is it across a subscription? Or is it based on extension? Like what are the options there for enabling or disabling automatic upgrades? It's enabled on the... At the scope, if you remember, it's enabled at the <laughs> scope of a virtual machine or a VM scale set. Got it. So the way it's going today, like in this kind of initial iteration of it that's out there, yep. there's a property on virtual machines and virtual machine scale sets. It's called enable automatic update. You need to go ahead and set that value to true. There's not a checkbox or anything in the portal today, but you can directly call the ARM REST API. So it's a put request to go ahead and enable that property and bring it up. Or you can do it with PowerShell. You can do it with... Maybe Azure Policy? You can do it with the CLI. I don't know if you could do it with policy. You could certainly do it at the time a VM is created through like an ARM template. Or at least if you yep. if you can't today, that should be coming in the very near future as well. So you can't do it by extension then either. So if you have like antivirus extension that you want always updated, but another one that could potentially have a breaking change, it's kind of an all or nothing at this point in time? No, so it actually is per extension. Like you can't, okay. so that enable automatic upgrade, it's going to be set to true or false for each extension within that array list that you go ahead and fire off. So if you did have multiple extensions, you do have the ability to kind of configure that as you like Pick and to. choose. Yep. Got it. Very cool. I might have to go play with a few of these things in my free time. <laughs> I free time. And in all that free time that you have. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I think that's it for Azure stuff. You want to get into Microsoft 365 stuff? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about one, not the one I was. I don't even know how we are on time today. How are we doing on time today? Yeah, we're fine. It just ends when it ends. Or or we go go to our next meeting. So there's one that I saw pop up. And this is actually a little older. This was last update. It was updated August 19. It was published July 30. Guess what? I got back into my admin center. So I'm in my message center. But team meeting recordings. So those are going to OneDrive and SharePoint now, right? Kind of, sort of. <laughs> kind of, sort of. I, yeah. I, I think it's super confusing the way they work, but yeah. So there is now a new roadmap ID for this, and I missed this in the roadmap as well, 84580. And this update is going to auto-expire recordings of meetings in OneDrive and SharePoint. So this is not a retention setting, but it is an expiration and deletion setting. And I think I was looking through the whole message center announcement here. I think it was 60 days. And this is rolling out later this year. So newly created team meeting recordings and OneDrive and SharePoint will be automatically deleted by the service based on a new default team's policy settings. You will be able to change this, but it is going to get turned on and enabled by default, based on how this reads. So this is 60-day default value was chosen. As on average across all tenants, most meeting recordings are never watched again after 60 days, but it can be modified. So I know for some organizations, this could actually be like a compliance thing. I know some Companies, when based on certain compliance regulations, have to they record certain activities or record certain meetings because they have to show proof of certain activities taking place or certain meetings taking place if they ever get audited for some reason. So just one of those to be aware of. It's going to roll out here the uh, September, I think September, October time frame, late September through mid-November. This is going to start rolling out to organizations where those team meetings may get deleted 60 days after they were created. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I'm glad you called that one out. Like I, I run a couple internal, I ha- help out and run a couple internal communities, and we rely pretty heavily on those recordings and retaining them at least for certainly the last quarter, if not the last half year or going at least a year back. So I'm going to go need to tweak some things so I can make sure that those stick around. I've also been really struggling with the kind of ever-changing settings around kind of default policy for meeting recordings, which now lands them like like if you're if I'm recording in some of my teams, like I you know, I set up a meeting in a Teams channel and I record it, it goes ahead and gets yep. stored in SharePoint in the team. A it sends me an email that says, Great, your recording's now stored in OneDrive. My recording's not in OneDrive, it's in SharePoint, but whatever. <laughs> but I get that, and then I go over there, and I, like, I want to give people in my team the ability to automatically download those recordings, but by default in new teams, at least in like our, our tenant, it fires up and it, it makes it so that they're view only for anybody who's not an owner of the team. And I can't even change the permission to something else on the object itself. Like I have to go and create a new link for it. It's in general like a pain in the 
it's a pain in the rear end to work with. Not to mention that there's still seems to be like this changing target of where things live and how it's going and how they're going to come over from stream, if ever, at some point, hopefully, maybe, kind of, sort of. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. This also does say that meeting owners do get notified about expired recordings and you can extend the expiration date in OneDrive and SharePoint. So, yeah, I, I'm just like, I know in my case, I, I'm just going to need to turn it off because I can't go yeah. in every 60 days or 30 days or whatever and renew and say, what, what's going to be, yeah. you know, four meetings a month for a year straight. So, I'm going to have, right. N- you know, 48 meetings to go and renew at the end of the year, that that's no good. Yeah, and the compliance policies will also override expirations. So at least they did get that in there too. If you do have some compliance settings, those will overrule them. But there is a lot more. So we can post the link to the roadmap item for this. There is a lot more details about it in the message center. And there also is, oh, here's the FAQ about it as well. So we can post an FAQ about it. We can post the roadmap item, but you may want to go check your message center as well and look at any details in the message center. Sounds like a plan. Uh, And one other one, I suppose we should talk about it, Scott, because it's in the news and everybody's talking about it and we don't want to be left out, is there's new pricing for Microsoft 365 coming out. There is. (laughs) There is. 20, and I don't know, we can point people to the articles. I don't necessarily want to spend a ton of time on this because, again, everybody's talking about it. But coming up in 2022, sometime, this article, I think, March 1, 2022, there's going to be a few updates to Microsoft 365 Business Basic, Business Premium, Office 365 E1, Office 365 E3, Office 365 E5, and Microsoft 365 E3. Microsoft 365 E5, however, is not changing. And it's not... Some people are like, ah, it's going up, they're going crazy. I get it. If you have 150,000 subscriptions and they jump two bucks, it's jumping $300,000 a month. But most of these price jumps range from anywhere a dollar a month to at most $4 a month. Not a huge price jump. Microsoft makes the point and I kind of get it even with them. They have not changed these prices in several years. And given the expanded features that they keep including, I'm imagining it takes more resources, storage, compute, etc. It really doesn't surprise me that much that they're going up a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) From a budgeting perspective. (laughs) Yeah, there are things there. I think in general, like clearly there's been some rationalization done around who consumes what licenses and where add-ins are coming in and things like that. You know, how does this work across enterprise customers and where is maybe most bang for your buck? Like in some cases, you might end up saving money on a per user license, you know, given collapse of features together, like in the communication and kind of collaboration area. You know, you've got things like bringing in audio conferencing into some of those into some of those licenses, which is great. Like if that was something you were paying for on like an ad hoc basis for your users before, because you only wanted them to have like dial in and conferencing. Now it's just kind of there for everybody and available. The other thing to keep in mind with this is it's only enterprise plans from everything I've seen. It's not things like a business premium or anything like that. Like that is all static today. It is business basic and premium. Oh, is it? Those two guys. 
caught up. I missed that part. But it's not education or government today. Like there, there were some Correct. things that were excluded from this announcement, at least. Yep. I don't see anything in there. And the other thing that I don't see in here anywhere is it's just those bundled plans. Like if you're just doing a bunch of exchange mailboxes or SharePoint or licensing some of those things individually, it looks like all of those prices are going to stay the same. It's just these what, one, two, three, four, five, six. I guess I'd call them bundled plans that are going up a couple bucks. You've also got some time to plan for this. So it's not like price increases are coming tomorrow. They're coming next year, March. Yep, March. You've got a little bit of runway to kind of think about things and get ready for the change. Yep, plan budgets. If you are doing budgeting and this affects your budget, you may need to look at that as well. I, I think that's the biggest thing I see where this making an impact is... Some companies, this may affect how they budget, how they allocate certain dollars. They may have to make a few tweaks. But overall, again, not too big. I'm not going to go running away. However, did you notice this affected Microsoft stock price? Microsoft stock was up like 3% today after this. Was it? I don't know. I don't, yeah, it was. <laughs> you'd think as an employee, I'd pay more attention to the stock price, but I tend not to like follow that stuff on a daily basis. Too much. I, I got enough stress in my life these days. I don't need more from that. Too much daily volatility in the stock market. <laughs> yeah. No, that was a nice perk out of this. My value in the stock market went up so I can afford my new license. There you go. I just bought my new license with the increase in the stock price. But with that, we should probably wrap it up. I have work to do. I have weekend projects to do that will more than likely turn into a future podcast episode. So stay tuned for that. We'll keep it a secret. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, Ben. All right. Talk to you later, Scott. If you enjoyed the podcast, go leave us a five-star rating in iTunes. It helps to get the word out so more IT pros can learn about Office 365 and Azure. If you have any questions you want us to address on the show or feedback about the show, feel free to reach out via our website, Twitter, or Facebook. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.